Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Most of us, when we hear the word surprise, surprise is a positive thing. Maybe a special gift at Christmas time, or a special surprise birthday party or anniversary. Or maybe we get a surprise from our mate when we get home and there's a special meal or going to take us out to eat or let's go shopping or let's take a trip or something along the line that doing something out of the ordinary becomes a surprise. This is a political year. And a lot of times we think of presidential politics as the October surprise would come come upon them uh, that might have an impact upon the November election. And so the term October surprise, which has happened several times in political cycles, has uh, had an impact on what happens in the election. So the word surprise is a great word, and God uses surprises to be able to comfort his people, to be able to show them who he is, to be able to take away their enemies or whatever. When you get the New Testament, that Luke records several surprises from God. Now, they had seen surprises in the past, Jewish people had. I think of um, uh, the surprise of the Red Sea parting, and God's people were able to cross over on dry land. And then God, to the surprise of Pharaoh's army, the waters came back and consumed all of Pharaoh's army right in front of his face. There's the surprise of David and Goliath, where people never thought David could do anything as a young man against the giant, Goliath. And to the surprise of the Israelites and the Philistines, David was able to take him down and kill him. But when you get to Luke's gospel, and he records several surprises from God in the things that he writes, his gospel as well as the book of Acts. Now, the first of these is introduced right away with the introduction of the Messiah as Jesus Christ, who was later crucified. Second surprise, major surprise, is recorded in the book of Acts, which would be the inclusion of Gentiles as God's people without any attempt being made to relate them to the law. This was a huge surprise, because up to this point, Gentiles were thought as dogs by Jewish people. Never thought they could ever be, and they they weren't allowed in the temple or the tabernacle. So this was a huge surprise that Luke records, that now Gentiles were allowed to be called God's people. Third, the resurrection in Luke's gospel and exaltation is God's vindication of his claims as Messiah. This was a big surprise to the people. They weren't expecting the resurrection. Jesus told his disciples about it ahead of time, but even they didn't expect it. It was a huge surprise to everyone that Jesus Christ rose again from the grave. But another big surprise is Jesus' conscious pursuit of the fringe of society, including the poor, the immoral, the children, those who suffer. All of this was met by opposition. Didn't like the Lord Jesus to be fraternizing with people that they didn't care for. Various things along that line, and even with the children, disciples said, well, why do you spend time with them? I mean, when you think of all the surprises that Luke records, he wants to reassure Theophilus, that's who he's writing to, that the difficulty of the walk with Christ is worthwhile. 
In Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, let me just read to you, beginning at verse 3. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things, wherein thou hast been instructed. Now that's the beginning and the introduction of the first chapter of Luke's Gospel. And then he goes into the great account of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in this first chapter of the book of Luke that we're going to look at a little bit today, I see three themes in this first chapter. All of us, all these themes relate to us today, and especially dealing with the pandemic, the election, uh, the, the turmoil in the streets of many of our cities, and just uh, the general unrest that we are experiencing today. Number one theme is God is always working, always. Do you see it? Maybe a better question would be, do you want to see it? How are you preparing yourself to see God's work? We think of um, uh, various people in the Bible that were thinking of preparing themselves for things of the Lord. And um, uh, I'm always amazed when you look at the Bible how sometimes God's people were caught off guard because they weren't looking for God to work. But we always need to realize that God is always working. Always. Second great theme is the obedience and submission to God opens opportunities for God's grace and blessing in your life. Obedience and submission to God opens opportunities. It really does. And we see God working in great ways when we submit to him. We are obedient to his word. The third great theme in the first chapter of Luke is understanding of Scripture, how it draws our attention to God's plan of a Savior and salvation in him. When we really look at the Bible, we see how God is working in great ways and how the whole Bible ties together the theme of the Lord Jesus Christ, redemption of mankind, his atoning work on the cross, all these great themes that God has in relationship to his son, Jesus Christ. From the beginning of Genesis all the way through the scripture, the theme is there of God's plan of a savior and salvation. All right, so let's kind of take our time to look at those three, three themes. First of all, we said that God works in wondrous ways. He's always working. He has a plan. Do you recognize it? Do you believe it? That's the first big theme we want to look at. Christianity is certainly not humdrum. In writing this gospel, Luke wanted to show the continuity of God's plan. Luke gives us prophecy and fulfillment. God never stops working. But for the past 400 years, Israel had not heard a word from God, but he was still working in the background. When Malachi was living, that's the prophet Malachi, in writing, the Persian Empire was ruling the known world. Then the course of history, the Greeks, under the rule of Philip of Macedon, and later his son Alexander the Great, swept into power and brought with them the wonder of the Greek language. By the time of Christ's birth, the Old Testament had been translated into Greek, called the Septuagint, by 70 scholars in Alexandria, Egypt. 
But when Alexander died at 32 years old in Babylon, following what we think of as a drinking party, his kingdom was divided into four parts and assigned to four of his generals, whom he referred to as, quote, the strong. The two areas that are most important to the Jews would be the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. That was the territory from the north to the south of Israel, and Israel was sandwiched right in the middle. Now, the most significant ruler of the Seleucians was Antiochus IV. He tried to capture all of Egypt and almost succeeded until an old senator came from Rome by the name of Gaius Papilius. He confronted, um, he confronted Antiochus outside of Alexandria and drew what we like to think of as a line in the sand. However, it wasn't a line. It was actually a circle. And uh, with his cane, he drew this circle around him and forced him to decide to retreat and go home. He told him that he had to make a decision before he left the confines of the circle that he had drawn in the sand. As a result of Antiochus being humiliated because he ended up just turning around and leaving and going back, he went through Jerusalem and desecrated the temple. Judas Maccabeus and his father Mattathias led a revolt to free Jerusalem. And we know that from the um, freedom from the Seleucian Empire in 164 B.C. The Jewish feast of Hanukkah that is celebrated around Christmas time, Hanukkah means dedication, commemorates the restoration of Jewish worship at the temple in Jerusalem. So God was working, even though Scripture wasn't being written. In the 400 years, God still had a plan, and he was working even through evil rulers, even through difficult times. He still was working. He was working through the lives of people like Judas Maccabeus and his father. But the second thing, as far as the theme is concerned in the book of Luke, is Luke, or is that God works with people to bless them as well as giving a Savior to the world. Now, there have been a cla- there's always been class consciousness in almost every culture in history, and the Jewish culture in Jesus' day was no exception. The upper class of that society uh, structure consisted of the descendants of Aaron, the official priesthood. There were about 20,000 of them in and around Jerusalem at the time. Sadly, many of them were proud, bigoted, overindulgent, self-seeking man, men, religious only in external matter that would impress the right people. These are the Pharisees and Sadducees and so forth. The priest in the story of the Good Samaritan is a good example of this kind of behavior. A few of them were different. And among them was an old priest by the name of Zacharias that we're introduced to in Luke chapter 1. Let's examine who he is and who his wife was. So let's go to the verses of Scripture beginning at verse 5. There were in the days of Herod, king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias. It's interesting, Zacharias is the first person we're introduced to in the book of Luke. So he would be the first person we're introduced to in the New Testament. He was of the course of Abiah, the Bible says, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. 
And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. It's interesting that the Bible gives it to, uh, their names because their names were significant. God always puts a great emphasis on names. You look at the names for God, what they mean. Zacharias or Zechariah, you would know that that name means God remembers. Elizabeth means his oath. So you put those names together, and that helps to start the story. God remembers his oath. Zacharias is the first person introduced to in, God's, in Luke's gospel, I said, and he and Elizabeth are given to us as devout examples. The Bible says, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. It doesn't mean that they were sinless, but that they were faithful and sincere in keeping the Lord's ordinances. Their hearts were tender toward pleasing God, and their righteousness was before God, not for the show of people. That's in verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking in the commandments and ordinance of the Lord, blameless. What a great testimony for these two individuals. But then the story abruptly changes. This was all set up by God. This is why he was in the eighth division for this time of the year. This is why he picked the right lot to be chosen for this particular task. God was working his will all along. Gabriel appears, the Bible tells us, standing at the right of the altar of incense. That's special. It was a frightening surprise. Because the Bible tells us in verse 8, And it came to pass, while he was executing the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense, right where Zacharias would be. And Zacharias saw him. He was troubled, and fear fell upon him. Oh my, there would be fear falling upon him. And when you look at this, the angel spoke to Zacharias beginning in verse 13, all the way through verse 17. He would be great in the sight of the Lord. Talking about the Lord Jesus, he would comfort Israel with their sin and install a relationship with God and his people. This is a great passage of Scripture. The angel said to him, verse 13, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. For thy wife Elizabeth shall bear a son. The Bible tells us earlier that she was barren, but they were old. And thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For, it sh for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, shall not drink wine or strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel sh shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the power and, and spirit of Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. All these great words that the angel said to letting him know that, that this forerunner to the Lord Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, 
was going to be born of them. And he would be a forerunner to be able to, to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus to come. And the Bible says this, And Zechariah said to the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well stricken in years. Now this is interesting. Because when you look at this passage of Scripture, before Zacharias had a chance to think about it, he, he blurts out, um, How shall I know for certain? That's the way we would have said it today. He said, For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Unbelief always robs us of the joy of the promise of God. Essentially, he was saying to this angel, Prove me, prove what's going to happen here. Now, Zacharias was a man of God. But he was still a man and had human weaknesses. And God understands the weaknesses, but is not ecstatic about it. He wants to strengthen our faith and give us his word to allow us to meditate upon it. God was gracious to Zacharias by giving him a sign. And that sign was an unusual one. That is, he would be silent until the child comes. Now, he may have been deaf as well. So he could have been like what we call a mute. God's discipline is always that way. It is correction crouched in grace. He didn't kill him. He just put him in a position where he couldn't verbalize anything, but just would think about what the angel had said to him and what was going to come to pass with the coming of John the Baptist. It's interesting that he calls his name John. The angel said that you will name him John. And, of course, the people later on when John was born said, why don't you name him after yourself or a family name? And he said, no, the angel said to name him John. It's interesting that the name John means the gift of God. So you put Zacharias with Elizabeth with John. You come out with, the Lord remembers, my God is an oath and the gift of God. Those three things to come together are remarkable. But God knew all this. All this was come by plan. It's come by plan because he had Zacharias and Elizabeth who were godly, but struggled with issues of they didn't have children. So their life wasn't perfect. It wasn't easy. And it was difficult. But yet he was faithful. And even in the midst of all of that, God was continuing to work and caused a huge surprise in his life as well as a huge surprise in the life of the region of Judea. So the greatness of God, God's grace, inspired Zacharias to utter the magnificent song of praise to God in verses 68 to 73. And this was after the birth of John, and he was allowed to speak again. And so the Bible records these wonderful words, beginning at verse 68, when the Bible says this, Oh, let's start at 67. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware unto our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we may 
be delivered out of the hand of the enemies, might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the redemption of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. Oh, there's some wonderful passages right there in that great passage of these, of these words of Zacharias in praise to the Lord. He gives us a reference in this passage to the Abrahamic covenant that God swore to Abraham with his descendants and that they would be blessed and be a blessing to the whole earth. Many of the Jews were beginning to think that God had forgotten their, his promise and that their national situation was hopeless. <coughs> but Zacharias and Elizabeth never thought so. Together, their names were a constant reminder that Jehovah remembers his oath. When the child was named, verses 62 and 63, he immediately was able to speak after about nine months of silence. God then opened the old priest's mouth and he sang this hymn that we just read in this passage of Scripture. But there's some interesting words here in this passage. In verse 68, the Bible uses the term redeemed or redeemed as people. It means to set free by paying a price. It's referred to the releasing of a prisoner or the liberating of a slave, like Hosea in the Old Testament. And Luke tells us in chapter 4 that Jesus Christ came to the earth to bring deliverance to the captives. But there's another interesting idea. Because he's in verses 69 to 77, we see the, the winning of a battle. The captives were set free, but in this picture, the enemy is defeated. So that he cannot capture more prisoners. It means total victory. That's why he says in verse 74 that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him uh, without fear. The Redeemer comes from the house of David, verse 69, he tells us. What is the result of that victory? We would do his will and enjoy his freedom. But then the last thing is, Zacharias makes this very interesting word of the day spring. Because third, it's the idea that with John the Baptist and in the Lord Jesus, this is the dawning of a new day. Day, day spring means sunrise. <coughs> Zechariah's son would prepare the way for the coming of the Lord Jesus. And certainly, that was a new day indeed. Now, Zacharias and Elizabeth were righteous in the sight of the Lord. And we think to ourselves, what lessons do we learn from these great surprises that we find out in Scripture? Um, what things in our lives make it difficult to apply the, that great statement for you? In other words, do the things that happen in this earth or this world cause us to lack that righteousness in the sight of the Lord? Would you be willing to covenant with God to seek victory in these areas in our lives? Sometimes when things are not going well, and it didn't go well for Israel for a long time, and God was still working, but People were probably struggling to think, God, where are you? What's going on? We haven't heard. What's happening? And he was working in the background. And Zacharias 
um, was used of the Lord along with Elizabeth to bring into this world John the Baptist, who would preach right, who would preach um, repentance and baptism, and with the idea of getting people prepared for the coming of the Lord. But when we think of ourselves and the difficulties that we face, how is God working in your life? Do you recognize it? Do you desire it? I think a lot of people just like to say, Lord, just leave me alone. Just I don't, I don't want to have to deal with anything. I don't want to have to make any decisions. Just leave me alone. Do you really want that? I don't think any of us would really want God to leave us alone. Sometimes as children, we would just run off into our room and say, I don't want my parents to talk to me. I don't want my brother or sister to talk to me. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to be left alone. A lot of times God's people, even God's people, sometimes say that to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit, to Word of God, just leave me alone. I just want to live in my misery or my unhappiness, and we don't want to see God working in our lives. But God is always working, always. And we think to ourselves, what are the promises in God's Word that you find difficult to believe? Do we find it difficult to believe that God answers prayer? Do we find it difficult to believe that God can take care of my needs? Is it we find it difficult to believe that God has a will and a plan for my life? We think to ourselves, what are the things that are difficult for me? Do I really believe them? I'm sure Zacharias and Elizabeth had many conversations of, what is God doing? What's happening? And when all of a sudden this angel appears to Zacharias in the temple and tells him the news of this coming of John the Baptist, that it was such a shock to him that he looks to the angel, well, show me proof, show me proof. And sometimes we look at Zacharias and say, how could, you, how could you say that to the angel, show me proof? Sometimes we act the same way because we're just like Zacharias. We want to serve the Lord, but sometimes we struggle with obedience. We struggle with just believing because it's such a shock. So we think to ourselves, is God working? Are there surprises that I'm dealing with in my life? Lord, help us to be able to put all things that happen in his hands and see how God works in this time and with my family and with my personal life to serve him even when things happen that I don't understand, but I look for God to work in great ways because I know he certainly will. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.